All right, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. The Legislative Dining Room is finally reopening. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness our Christmas break is over. We can get a cup we of get coffee. A coffee. All right. Okay, Mary Ellen Turpel-Lafond. What a saga Whoa. this has been. Uh, tip of the hat to CBC here and their yep. their groundbreaking work into her background, her her indigenous ancestry, academic know, record, her academic record. Has she been completely forthright on all all of this? And now UBC, she was a professor there. At, uh, UBC at first was standing mm-hmm. by her, but now it looks yep. now she's been let go. Let's have a listen to this report here now from Global News. High-profile lawyer and BC's former representative for children and youth, Mary Ellen Turpel-Lafond, is no longer employed by UBC. Let's bring in our Jordan Armstrong, who's been following this story for us. What can you tell us so far, Jordan? Sophie, this news just breaking in the last hour. The university won't say why it's cut ties with the former judge, only that as of December 16th, she is no longer a professor at the Allard School of Law. So was she fired? Did she quit? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, but as you mentioned, CBC did an exhaustive uh, investigative report on this uh, some weeks ago uh, that raised serious questions about her claims to be of Indigenous ancestry, also about her academic record. Um, UBC originally stood by her, yeah. as did the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. So uh, we'll see. We haven't heard from them yet. Um uh, but again, it's, it's it, I've known Mary Ellen Turpelafon for as you have for a long time. Yeah, um, and I have mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, you know, you don't want to see people have questions about their claims of their background. On the other hand, I don't think you can dispute Mary Ellen uh, Turpelafon's legacy in BC, particularly when it comes to reforms of child protection services and accountability in the child protection system. I mean, her the reason why she was reappointed as commissioner is she was a very good uh, child protection commissioner, child, children's representative. So it's uh, it's a really mixed blessing story. With uh, You've got her now departing UBC School of Law. Uh, she, had re- she had ceased being uh, the director of the residential school uh, um, uh, faculty there. Yeah. Uh, and now she leaves uh, UBC faculty a lot. Again, no statement from UBC other than the fact that she's no longer part of the faculty. I wonder if this could be a case where UBC's sort of first reaction was to defend or stand by her, but then things were taking place behind the scenes of maybe people threatening to turn in their honorary degrees or people well, who were the, upset. There's pressure on this university. There was a prominent uh, First Nations leader who was going to uh, turn in her honorary degree because yeah. of the situation. There was a split in First Nations communities. So you right. got a number of First Nations were uh, against Marion Terpelafon. Uh, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs was siding with her, so there was a split in the First Nations community over this this huge issue. But uh, things are, you know, are taking the, the course of events are going the way U- a UBC, lot of people had anticipated. UBC really kind of struggling how to deal with this because I remember when the story first broke. At first, they said, "Well, she's still on staff here, and she wasn't hired because of because of her indigenous yeah. ancestry." So it doesn't basically it doesn't really matter. But when she was hired. Her and her claimed indigenous indigenous ancestry was very prominent in the announcement at that time that when she mm-hmm. was hired by UBC. So I don't know. I think there's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Oh, I think there. so. And it, it, the story had popped up from time to time since the original CBC report with uh, different First Nations leaders expressing yeah. views of concern. And now it culminates with her leaving UBC. Again, no details behind it, but, you know, you can... Draw your own She's tough, to like this. you, like you said. You've known her a long time. I've known her a long time. She's very, 
smart, tough person. Very tough person. Um, you know, she, I thought she was, she was a good advocate. She was a good public advocate uh, in her in her roles, especially as the children's commissioner. I mean, she was like tough as nails over there. She was, uh, yeah, she was tough. She yeah. clashed with the ministry and the minister uh, many times yeah. and had the government on its heels, on the defensive. Yeah. Um, initiated a lot of reforms. So, I mean, I don't think you can question a, the majority of the body of her work. Well, as, that's kind of the tragedy and, of it, is that she probably she would have had a great career even if there, you know, there hadn't been this controversy. Well, she or, also was brought in last year or the year before to oversee a, a commission, not a commission of inquiry, but just a, an investigation of systemic racism in the BC healthcare yeah, system, right. yeah. which also produced some positive results. So, again, I think you have to separate. Uh, Chapelophon's body of work for the public and the troubling revelations about her documented past. Okay. All right. That's one we continue to follow. Let's take a look at what's going on in the U.S. House of Representatives here. So Kevin McCarthy, this representative from California, Republican leader in in the House, he's trying to become become the the speaker. I think he's he's either in the process of losing the fourth round of balloting or he's lost. Yeah. So he looks like he's losing, yeah, the vote number four here. First time in 100 years that someone hasn't been able to secure the uh, speaker uh, role in one ballot. This is usually automatic, right? I mean, if like the, Repu- say, the Republicans it, got a majority... you got to go back 100 years to see uh, this, this taking place where someone not being able to get it on the first ballot. This is So it's not unprecedented, but it's basically unprecedented. And you got the Democrats just loving this, watching the, the Republicans feast on each other. You've got this rebel rump gang of, of ultra-conservative Republicans who are refusing to give in to McCarthy, demanding he give... All sorts of concessions, including one he said you could you could fire the speaker. Uh, all it would take would be five five uh, dissidents to come up with a resolution to get rid of the speaker. So uh, it's chaos in the House of Representatives. There, the Democrats are loving it, and the House isn't sitting. There is no House no, until right. there's a yeah. speaker. No yeah. one's sworn in. Right. It's chaos down there. It's fascinating to watch, and it's fascinating to watch the Republicans implode. Okay, he says he's not giving up. Let's have a listen to Kevin McCarthy here trying to become the speaker down there in the House of Representatives. He says he's not giving up. Have a listen here. This is a healthy debate. It might not happen on the day we want it, but it's going to happen. Okay, it's a healthy, healthy debate. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I'm a, not sure it's that healthy. That's a, that's a nice spin there, Mr. McCarthy. No, it's uh, it is going to be interesting whether Jeffries, who's the Democrat offering, whether does he emerge as the speaker in a in a house where the majority uh, is on the other party? I don't think that's likely to happen. But Jim Jordan, who's one of McCarthy's allies, some Republicans are now wanting to back him. So yeah, he's he may, an ally of Trump, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and an ally of McCarthy, but uh, he may become the compromise candidate. I mean, Donald Trump is saying they should make Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, no, Trump's uh, Trump's even waiting into this thing. Yeah. So it's, but again, it's it's I think another indication of how troubled the Republican Party is, how split yeah. it is, and it's divided. It's not just ultra conservatives versus conservatives. It's ultra conservatives versus ultra conservatives. You know, these, yeah. these are these are Trumpians fighting amongst themselves. Well, you've got some mega Republicans, Trump Republicans, mm-hmm. and then you've got some extreme mega Republicans yeah. who are in, in some ways even more Trump like than yeah. Trump himself. <laughs> and then you've got moderate Republicans and you've got like establishment Republicans I and mean, the party's kind of splintered in oh, a whole bunch of different splintered factions. in all sorts of uh, yeah. sorts of ways and deep divides, too. So I'm not sure. Does the Republican Party could survive? He, we'll could he do something like. Maybe get some Democrats to vote for him if he does a deal with some Democrats, put them on some committees or something. Yeah, I think any scenario is possible. Um, Again, this is almost unprecededented. It's uh, you know to think this was the party of Lincoln, 
Yeah. That that's a a memory long ago. Let's talk about the situation with uh, the NFL player yeah. who uh, collapsed, Amar Hamlin of the of the Buffalo Bills. So he is still uh, recovering in still in, in critical hospital, condition. Still in critical condition. Let's have a listen to Ryan Clark here, is a former NFL player, now an ESPN analyst, uh, talking about this very scary situation with this football player. Have a listen. A few hours ago, was getting ready to play the biggest game of his NFL career, and there's probably nowhere else in the world he wanted to be. And now he fights for his life. And when DeMar Hamlin falls to the turf and when you see the medical staff rush to the field and both teams are on the field, you realize this isn't normal. Okay. NFL is the biggest sports organization in the world. Um, and it's in crisis because it, uh, on a couple of fronts. One, I mean, just what happens to this game? I mean, these are the two top seeds fighting for number one seed. It has implications for playoffs. All that aside, the NFL has been fighting uh, controversy for years over head injuries and brain injuries and people dying, players dying uh, young with brain injuries because of concussions. So that was one crisis that's been building. And now you've got this uh, potential, almost a near fatality that occurred on the field after a violent, jarring collision. The safety of NFL players is becoming a bigger and bigger issue, and this has taken it to a whole new level. Strange one about this one was that it looked like it didn't look like a, a particularly nasty or it wasn't a yeah. head. Yeah, it was, it, I mean, he got hit in the chest. Exactly, really. and, and that happens all the time. So yeah. again, does he have an underlying health uh, heart condition? We don't know that. With yeah. a lot of details yet to emerge. <laughs> But this game has not been rescheduled. Yeah. I'm not sure what that is going to happen to that. It, it does have eco- huge, eco- quite apart from concern about his his health, of course. There's huge economic consequences to this. To a lot of NFL teams, we make their money in the playoffs. And now where they go in terms of do they go to Cincinnati or Buffalo to play their next game, that's up in the air. All right, back with Keith Baldry. It's Baldry's Beat. We had a, a rock'em, sock'em debate here earlier on the show. Andrew Scheer, the former leader of the mm-hmm. Federal Conservative Party, going on with Randip Sarai, who's a Liberal MP from Surrey, about whether Canada truly is like an angry country right now. We picked up on that clip from Pierre Polyev last week where he was saying he doesn't like rage, he doesn't like these F. Trudeau flags. Wow. But you have to you have to ask why are people so angry? Yeah, it's the whataboutism. You know, he says on the other hand, sort of thing. I think it's a misread by the conservatives. The trucker convoy, the so-called freedom convoy, is not representative of Canada. It's it's just not. I mean, there are some people on the fringe who are legitimately angry or just buying the conspiracy theories. But that is not where the public is. But here, here's the other thing that Poliev hits on sometimes. Let's play this clip here because you'll, you'll hear him here talk about why other people are maybe are upset or angry in Canada, not necessarily the, the truckers. Have a listen to what he has to say here and get your thoughts. If you're one of the 38-year-olds living in your parents' basement because it now takes more of a, a monthly paycheck to own a house than at any time in recorded history, it's not so easy to be happy with the way things are going. Think he's got a point there? No. Um, really? Not, like with housing? People aren't I, upset about well, I think people are upset with housing. The vast majority of the population are not 38-year-olds living in their parents' basement. That's where he's trying to draw on. Um, when I talk to – I've talked to a lot of young people trying to buy housing. They're not necessarily anger as much as they're frustrated. And it's not this rage that he keeps talking about. It's not rage. It's, it's, it's frustration. It's disappointment in – not being able to access housing, there's up, people are upset about street crime. 
Um, but again, there's a big difference between rage and these conspiracy theorists, which is what the trucker convoy is. Those are the rage people. Those are not the middle class. But when he voters. talks, when he talks about housing and the frustrations around that, it's those, not rage. That's not cons- but that's not conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, no, you know, there are people, There are adults living in their, and, with and their people, parents. And people are frustrated. But that's a big difference between like between rage and these and this convoy that, that you just had Andrew Shear on, yeah. who's still defending the trucker convoy. The the occupation of the streets of Ottawa. That is out of step with public opinion. Okay, phone me on any of that. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Daryl in Coquitlam. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just want to comment on Andrew Scheer. Here's a man who's terribly disingenuous. First of all, he never held an insurance brokerage license in Saskatchewan. The owner of that business said that he don't he doesn't remember him ever working for him. While he was running for Prime Minister of Canada, he never openly admitted that he was a dual American Canadian citizen until the the journalists found that out. And himself and Pierre Polyev voted against dental care for children, the poorest of the poor, while his five children have gold-plated dental care courtesy of the taxpayers of Canada. I find him very hypocritical, very disingenuous, and they should not put him out as a spokesman. Thank you for the call. Yeah, I was actually surprised when I'm driving in here and listening to the show and hearing Andrew Shear. Like, whoa, Andrew Shear, whatever happened? Where, where is well, he? Well, he been? supports Polyev. He does. Right. And that's why they put him out. And, yeah. and again, the conservatives are a party that are not united. Uh, they're not everyone. You saw Aaron O'Toole, we talked about this before, taking a sort of a quasi shot at uh, Polyev last week and in in saying that he's sick and tired of these F. Trudeau flags, which he associates with P- Polyev supporting. So Shear's very much a Polyev guy, but it's a reminder the party's not completely the united. Pro- the problem is, like, when Aaron O'Toole was the leader, and he he was a frequent guest on this show here, too, he tried to kind of move the conservatives into sort of a more moderate, mm-hmm. mainstream, central kind of position, and that didn't work either. No, exactly. So nothing's, nothing doesn't seem, nothing seems to be working. Well, I think, I think right now the conservatives are far more right than they were under Aaron O'Toole. Yeah. Aaron O'Toole, you're right. He tried to move the, the party to the center. There was a backlash. He did not yeah. have the support of his caucus. The caucus right. is very much more con- uh, conservative or right-wing, and Polyev has tapped into that. But, again, they're missing the point that it's not winning the caucus, it's winning the public. Well, and, and this is, well, that's the bottom line is can they, can they form government, can they seize power? I mean, there's been some conflicting poll results out. There's been some poor polls. There's been some bad polling for Polyev here recently, but I saw another poll yesterday that indicated that if there was an election held today, uh, the conservatives would potentially win a narrow minority government. Well, I, now, here's the thing, though. I'm not sure Polyev can govern with a minority. No, he can't govern with a minority. No. And pollsters have to be very careful when they when they try to translate their polling public opinion uh, results into seats. Yeah. Pollsters aren't very good at that. Uh, you know, seats, you can get you can get 33% of the vote versus the Liberals 32%. That doesn't get you the urban and suburban seats in Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah. Seats determine who forms government, not the popular vote. Squeeze in one more call. Dave and Mission. Dave, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was just listening to Keith talking about how, uh, you know, the, the, the conservatives are fractured and, and they don't agree, and some of them don't agree with Polyev. Do we want politicians that, that 
like the like the liberal that was on there that says everything that Trudeau does is rosy and he's done absolutely nothing wrong? Or do we want people in parties that question the leadership sometimes and say, you know what, maybe things aren't as great as they should be and we can make and we can make uh, changes here to make it better. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, well, that's the job of opposition is to question the government. And that's, you know, and Poliev's doing that. And where he's effective is when he questions the liberals on uh, cost of living, affordability, housing, street crime, not about the Bank of Canada or about cryptocurrency.